You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 282. Hey, everybody. How is everybody doing this week? I am excited to be here. I feel a little bit less like death warmed over. I don't have to be on top of the mute button for the microphone this week. I'm excited to do this show. You're basically not sick anymore. Basically, kind of, sort of not sick anymore. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my wife, Anitra. That's me. I was trying to not get laughed at this week. You didn't get laughed at. All right. Awesome. Welcome to episode number 282. I have a fact about the number 282. I'm excited for this one. I thought this one was super cool. I'm ready. Are you sure? I think so. Okay. Have you ever heard of Hammurabi? Seeing as we're studying ancient history this year, yes. Yes, I have. Tell me something about Hammurabi. Well, other than the fact that he appears in They Might Be Giant song, The Mesopotamians... Uh, <laughs> Hammurabi was an ancient Mesopotamian um, Babylonian. ruler, yeah, who is most famous for having the first written code of laws. What? This written code of laws? Could it be called the Code of Hammurabi? Perhaps. Oh. So the Code of Hammurabi is, in fact, one of the earliest and most complete written legal codes and was proclaimed by... Hammurabi, who reigned from 1792 to 1750 BC. Hammurabi expanded the city-state of Babylon along the Euphrates River to unite all of southern Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. The Hammurabi Code of Laws was a collection of 282 rules. All right. Very nice. Hammurabi's code was carved into a massive finger-shaped black stone that was looted and rediscovered in 1901. Okay, so about 120 years ago. Mm-hmm. It is now at the Louvre. Okay. It's a giant black stone stele, or pillar, basically, containing the code. Uh, it's a single four-ton slab of diorite. Wow. Yeah, which is a durable but incredibly difficult stone for carving. And if you are in France, you can go see it in Paris at the Louvre. Very cool. So there you have it. Code of Hammurabi 282 kind of if-else rules. If you do this, then this will happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's it. That's my fact for the episode 282. We have a fact from our sponsor, First Move Financial. This is not a fact so much as a hypothesis. Uh, one hypothesis of financial counseling holds that everyone has their own money personality. Oh, I've got a personality. I, I know you do. What these personalities are hasn't really been codified. But generally, experts agree that there are people who are most comfortable when they are saving money regularly. That's me. Those who get enjoyment out of spending money, regardless of what is in their account. Can't take it with you when you die. People who aren't comfortable with money at all and simply avoid thinking about it as much as possible. And there are others who are happiest giving their wealth away to loved ones without concern for their own financial goals. There are some other personalities, and like I said, they aren't really officially codified. And no one fits neatly in exactly any one box. But understanding your core money values 
and those of your spouse, if you're married, can help you set a positive example for your children, because most experts agree that most of our money personalities are influenced significantly by our experience with money as children. If you want to talk to someone about your money history or your money personality, then 15 minutes will just scratch the surface, but First Move can give you the resources to point you in the right direction. You can set up a time to talk with them for free at firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. Do it today. Thanks again to the team over there at First Move Financial for sponsoring the show. This week, we are going to talk about uh, a topic. It's a series that we've done. We haven't done one in a while. This is our Room to Grow series. So in Room to Grow, our goal is to help you bring your kids through a series of games with the same mechanic that all grow in complexity and kind of build on each other. We'll give you three games. We're going to give you more games because that's what we actually do. But three core games that start at the kind of the simplest level to something at a medium complexity and then something a little bit more complex. None of these are really going to fall into that hardcore, you know, difficulty four on BGG kind of crazy rating. All of these are family games. Yes. All of these are games that are suitable for family context. I shouldn't say family games because they're not family games first. They're good games first. Yes. That happen to be suitable for a family setting. But this week, we are going to talk about two-player fighting games. Yeah. We've um, been talking about them a lot. So, you know, it seems like something that's on our minds. Well, and it's a type of game that you and I really enjoy. And we've managed to bring our children into at least a few of these as well. Right. So we're going to talk about that second half of the show. First half of the show, we are continuing to plumb the depths of our epic gaming weekend in Georgia to talk about what we've been playing. I think we might finally get around to some of the games that we played after we came back. Yes, we, we certainly <laughs> will. So first one on the list is a game from Restoration Games. This is a remake of a Sid Saxon classic. It used to be Buried like B-U-R-I-E-D, and now it is Buried, B-E-R-R-I-E-D, Buried Treasure. Yeah, so this was an interesting game of its set collection, but there's a lot of stealing back and forth, depending on where you pull from the, the main tablet. Yeah, it's like a card drafting set collection yeah. game with a, well, with a steal mechanic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is super cute. It's called Grabby Paws in this version, and... Honestly, that kind of softens the blow a little bit when you're like, I'm going grabby paws. Right. Uh, and you know, I mean, there was something about this weekend where we just got together with some really good friends and everybody was kind of okay with the fact that everybody was going to be a jerk to everybody and it was not personal. Right. And it's really important to have that perspective when you're playing a game like this. If you are a, a, a group of gamers that can't like not take things personally, you don't want to play this game. Right. As soon as we played this game, we said... Oh, I, I would never want to play this with our children. Yeah, we can't play this at home. And it's just, this is the kind of game that is intentionally mean, but the goal of the game is not being mean. The goal of the game is collect the best sets. Right. That it would get our kids all bent out of shape. Yeah, there's not enough, I guess, in resources to like really hate draft, right? I mean, so right. it's, it's not, you. so you can't really be malicious you're always serving your own purposes yes so that part of it at least is good but it's still with the grabby paws and the taking like it's just too many hurt feelings in our family it this is a, a kind of game it's a great game but you just you need to know the audience yep and uh since we know the audience of our family we yep. are going to steer clear of this one mm -hmm. in that context I certainly wouldn't mind playing it again with friends. Right. So last week on the show <laughs> with the Game Schoolers, I spent a lot of time talking about this game. 
Hadrian's Wall. Hadrian's Wall, yes. While I was playing Hadrian's Wall, you were playing a completely different game. I was. I learned how to play Fantastic Factories. So I actually saw Fantastic Factories briefly at PAX Unplugged back in 2019. Mm -hmm. And it looked really cool at the time. I just didn't have time to really dig into it. So playing it at our friend's house, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Really? That's Um, interesting. Yeah, it was fine. And it's definitely the kind of game that a lot of people are going to love. And there was just something about it that it just felt a little bit too much, I guess. It's an engine building game. Imagine that. I know. But you're building an engine to make the best use of your die rolls. And that's part of where, for me, it just ended up feeling not too much, but just too many pieces that I had to try to get in place to mitigate every possible kind of die roll. Sounds like my jam. I would rather do a more straightforward engine building game like a Splendor or a Century Golem, Century Spice Road. Mm -hmm. Which is in beta on BGA, by the way. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to try that out on BGA. Mm -hmm. So it was fine. It's a good game. It was not really my jam, and that's okay. Well, I'm glad I hadn't yet bought it. On the other hand, you and I both learned how to play Three Sisters. Yes, we did. Which is sort of the spiritual successor to Fleet the Dice game from Pinchback and Riddle. Yep. It's still from Pinchback and Riddle. This time it's published by 25th Century and not Eagle Griffin. And the topic is gardening, not fishing. Yes. There's also a like center board for like action selection, kind of? Yeah. So it's a rondelle is what it is. Oh, it's rondelle action. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that was really cool because instead of the dice drafting that you have in Fleet the Dice game, now you have this rondelle and after you roll the dice, you have to put them out in order around the rondelle. And so everybody is still kind of faced with the same choices of, well, I can take this thing, which will let me do the action I really want, but I'm not sure if I really want this number. Sure. And balancing that out made for an interesting piece of the puzzle. But during the course of this, you gain compost, and compost can be used to alter die rolls. Yes. So you do have some opportunity for mitigation on that. Sure, sure. So, I mean, this is this is really, really interesting. When we were talking about Hadrian's Wall last week, and Michael was super... Dr. Michael. Dr. Michael, sorry. <laughs> was, <laughs> was super <laughs> interested in Hadrian's Wall. You know, I think I recommended Fleet. I, I don't remember if I mentioned Three Sisters, because it's technically not out yet. It's... It's available sometime extremely soon. Uh, but if you like Fleet the Dice game, you will like Three Sisters, period. Yes. If you like Fleet the Dice game and you want something m- way more complicated, you will like Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. But Three Sisters is just a tiny just bit Just a tiny, 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 tiny bit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, if the theme works for you, the theme works for you. So. Yeah, I liked it. I like that part of the mechanic is that once you have planted seeds, you can water them and they will grow. Which was pretty cool. I mean, the watering concept in this is a lot like the fishing concept in I mean, kind of, yeah. But I still liked it. I still thought it was cool because it's the idea of, oh, I just have to make sure I get stuff started in a bunch of places in this one area. And then I can use a single water action and grow everything in that area. Like getting boats? Not quite like getting boats, but I see where you're going. It's pretty similar. It felt nicely thematic. I, I agree with you. No, no, no. Look, look, it's a great game. It's very good. We've actually played some other Pinchback and Riddle stuff that I didn't super love, but this is a game that I really, really like. Yeah, so, I really like uh, it. I think it's excellent. That is Three Sisters from 25th Century Games. The next game on the list is, uh, I think, the very last game we played in Georgia. Yes. <laughs> 
Anyway, I miss it already. Uh, I do, I do. And this was Summer Camp, the Target game. Yeah, that's from Buffalo Games. Yep, it is a Phil Walker Harding design. It was real good. It's pretty fun. It really is, yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit, I guess not shocked, because I don't think I've played anything from Phil Walker Harding that I didn't like and enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think Cloud City was the least favorite thing that we played. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Like, it was a fine game. Yeah. We didn't love it, but it was it was a good game. Yeah, if average is the floor, you're doing fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Summer Camp has this race mechanic, kind of, that you're trying to race your way down these three separate tracks. Right. Because whoever gets to the end first gets a bigger bonus of merit whatever badge the point or whatever it is. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you're doing it through playing cards from your hand, and it's got a deck building mechanic, and it was really cool the way it all came together because it's going to be hard for me to describe it now and not make it sound super complicated. It was not complicated. No, it wasn't at all. And one of the things I really liked about this game, which really kind of lends to the replayability, is that at the beginning of the game, everybody picks, a, I guess they're not subjects, a camp subject. Yeah, you end up Water with three out board games no matter how many players you have you have you have three yeah but there's like there's like seven in the box and everybody picks one so it's always getting mixed up you're never playing the same cards over and over again right i mean generally speaking like a lot of those cards are like you know the water sports version of such and such a card or whatever and that's fine but at least it does kind of mix it up a little bit but there's more variety in there and it adds to that sort of you don't know what you're gonna get idea Mm. yep yep absolutely so that was summer camp i mean it's a mass market game i mean pretty much it's one of those games that really straddles the line of like hobby game and mass market game it's like it's like right there um so the i think the gameplay components are a little bit lower quality but they're not bad i think that's true in general of buffalo games i noticed the same thing with 60 second city that they publish yeah but i think the components are a little bit more heavyweight in 60 second city the components in Summer Camp kind of reminded me, honestly, of the components in, like, Camp Pine Top. The cardboarders are just a little bit too thin, and, you know, the yeah. cards, well, I didn't I love the texture on the fine. cards and stuff like that. Like, it's fine, but it's, like, if you're expecting a premium game experience, I don't want somebody to pick it up and be like, oh, Oh, this sure, is, sure, 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 sure. You know, so just be mindful of that part of it. But other than that, I mean, it's a great game. You know, I, it it's a Target, so it goes on sale on the reg, so. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's, it's one of those where I'm going to say that the finish on the cards or the quality of the cards shouldn't bother you a ton because if you're playing this regularly, you're going to be cycling through all these different decks. Right, so it's right, not right, like right. you're touching the same cards over and over and over again. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, the board game hobby has raised its game so much that, you know, I, I think expectations kind of go up with it. And I just, you know, metering expectations. I'm not even really saying it's bad per se. It's sure. just, it's not the premium game experience. And you shouldn't expect it to be. Like, I'm not really faulting the game for it. I'm just saying like, it it's in line with its price point and its yeah. and its place in the marketplace. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I would rather have games with great gameplay at this price point, you know, with this kind of materials than be going after, you know, hundred dollar yeah, games. No, no, no. Again, so, again, yeah. again. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just saying. I think that's reasonable. That's where we're at. Okay. okay. All right, good. I'm glad we agree. Okay. Next on the list is a is a small game you might have heard of called Rift Force. You probably heard our snap review for this uh, a week or two ago. Yeah. For what was it? Rift Force. Rift Force. Yeah, that was the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We talked about this. We did the snap review for this. It was in the show two weeks ago. This is a two player battle game where you're battling across a rift, and you it's kind of this like I don't know hand management sort of set collection-y kind of thing where you're trying yeah. to get like sets to attack and whatever. It's fine. It's fine. It's a 
pretty decent two-player battling game, yep. but it did not make it onto our room to grow. No, no, it did not. One that might, except it's not out yet, is the next game we played, which is Mall Peak. Yeah. So we've talked about this already. This is the sequel to Skulk Hollow. Fantastic game from Pencil First Games. It is Asymmetric. Awesome. One player plays as a hulking beast. The other player plays as this clan in Mall Peak. It's a clan of bears called the Grizzer Tribe so or cute. the Grizzer Clan. I mean, they're they're cute, but they're like I mean, they're also you wouldn't want to meet them in right, a dark alley, in a dark alley kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really like some of the stuff that they've done with the Grizzer Clan and the, and the different kind of approaches that they've taken with regards to magic and the summoning of the spirit creatures and the yeah. use of magic in the game. I think it's really interesting, kind of some of that stuff. It's definitely different from the Foxen clan. Yes, that that was the big thing that's hit me as I've played this more and more, is that the, the Grizzar tribe, you have to use a very different strategy than you would with the Foxen. Now, you had an opportunity to, to kind of cross-play this game. So you've yes. got to play what, a Foxen clan, but Mall Peak Guardians? Yes, that's what we How tried. did that go? Um, it was fine. I lost. Uh, as the... <laughs> as the Foxen. As the Foxen, okay. But part of this is also being aware of what guardian you're playing against. Sure. But yeah, the strategy for the Foxen tends to be throw Foxen out there and get them on whatever guardian, you know, as fast as possible most of the time, unless the guardian's goal is literally just kill a bunch of the small creatures. Right. Well, Foxen, I mean, with them, you really want to cycle through your cards because it's by drawing cards and playing cards that you get more Foxen out. With the Grizzard tribe, Correct. You, you, once a character dies that character is gone completely gone except for the spirit animal except that is for, the right, only right, one right. that can come back so there's definitely a lot more you know planning being cautious but also the attacks are a lot more powerful yes well and the other flip side of this is with the foxen if you can get a bunch of guys out quickly then your hand is full of actions right. which means early in the game with the foxen you're trying to get the guys out there and pull them out of the deck so you have more actions available. With the Grizzar, your deck is only action cards the entire time, which is nice in the early game, but in addition to the fact that when your guys die, they're dead, you also have to pay a summoning cost to get them out on the battlefield in the first place. So then you have this different balance of, do I want to play this card for the rage power that I'm going to need to, to summon more guys, or do I want to play it to just carefully move around the, you know, one or two guys that I have out on the board? Well, but not every card gives you rage. So, I mean, you may not even have that option. No, you always have that option. Some cards explicitly give you rage, but one of the options you always have is discard a card as an action for, I think it's one or two It's rage. probably one. It's probably one. Okay, that, that that's fair. So, yeah, I mean... I really like it. I, I've enjoyed both games. I think I kind of like the Grizzar tribe a little bit better. It kind of jives with my personal play style. The Grizzar feel a little bit more like a balancing act. But at the same time, you're choosing which guys to put out there, not just waiting for the luck of the draw. Right. So uh, the one mode that we haven't really gotten a chance to play with that we want to is the Battle of Bore, which is a <laughs> four-player mode where there's two Guardians and both and tribes, both tribes, but it's still on a nine-cell map. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be insane, especially if you pick one of the guardians from each box that stick tokens all over the map. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. It's, I mean, <laughs> it, it might be too much. 
you know, I, I'm not be. saying it is. This isn't the like, oh, it might be, but it is. Like, it, it, I don't know. It, it might be. I have no no clue. Yeah. So. We we just haven't had a chance to do that. You need to do that with either three or four players. Yep. You would never want to do it with two. I mean, could you? Do, I mean, if you do it at three, then somebody's controlling either both guardians or both tribes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's doable. That's whew, that's still a lot. It's still a lot. That's a lot. All right, so that's Mall Peak. Uh, it's still not on Kickstarter quite yet. There's some stuff going on that may delay the Kickstarter. We don't really know yet, but we are having fun with that. Got some rule revisions, which definitely have helped, I think, in some yeah. ways. So they're continuing to tweak that and adjust that. Uh, so we're really excited for this this game. This is a game that I, uh, I mean, will almost certainly do whatever it takes for me to get a copy of this game when it fulfills. So yes. Um, that's you know that's what I'm gonna do. You know, you all know my policy. I don't tell people to go back something on Kickstarter, but I will tell you what I'm gonna do. And I'm cheap, so there you go. Yeah, we only back a couple most years. Yeah, we also got in several plays of King Domino Origins. Mm -hmm. This is the game that we released the review for last last week. week. Yep, short version of yours and my discussion about this. I think this is gonna replace the original King Domino for our family. I agree with you. I mean, the thing about King Domino Origins, it comes with like three different modes of play. And the simplest mode is pretty close to King Domino. It's not identical, so it's not truly a full replacement, but it's it's fine. It is a tiny step more complex than King Domino, which actually is why it's likely to replace King Domino for us, because that simplest mode is just a little bit more interesting. You have a little bit more in the way of decisions that you can make. Well, and you know, we also, let's not forget, in the last year and a half or so, we reviewed Dragomino. And yes. if you really want a starter King Domino game, that's, that's a better choice. That's Dragomino. And so if you go from Dragomino, you're already playing that. You don't need to go to King Domino. Just go straight to King Domino Origins. Yes, that's, I, that's I agree. That's my take. I agree. So the interesting thing about King Domino Origins, and I would say go to thefamilygamers.com and check out the review for this one, is that the game does flex. So there's these three different modes. The middle mode we're not going to talk about. because I gonna, hate it. Wow. You feel more strongly about it than I do, <laughs> but that's fine. So the, the base mode is pretty much King Domino. Instead of crowns, you have fires. That's it. And there are volcanoes that launch fires. This is where the additional decision-making sure. comes in. But that's it. That's the only thing that makes it more complicated. But in the complex mode, I don't, tribal mode? I don't remember Tribe what Tribe mode, yeah. There are cave person tiles that come out. Yeah, I mean, the rule book calls them cavemen, so I called them cavemen in the review. But there are lady cavemen. There, yes. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, whatever. And you can purchase them. So these tiles come out and you draft them the same way you do in King Domino and they have little resource icons on them. And yeah. when they come out, you put those resource like tokens on the tiles. Yeah, there's like mammoth and fish and mushrooms and flint. So that's kind of an added part uh, when you go to draft them, like those things are valuable. So you build your little tableau and then you can take two different resources and trade them in to take one of the four cave people. And that part is, I guess, like almost ticket to ridey sort of. So there's there's four available, and you pick the one you want, and then you, you pick flip the one out you want. a new one kind yeah. of thing. And these cave people do all sorts of different stuff, depending on what they're next to, or how big their group is, they, or whatever. They all earn you points in one way or another. So you can you have some freedom to pick the ones that are going to work for you and for the territory that you have. However, you need to get a few cave people to then be competitive in this mode. Yep. And if none of the ones that are out there work for you... You can pull one from the stack. You can look through the stack and pull exactly the one you want. But in order to do that, you have to turn in 
one of each of the four resources. So it's expensive. So, I mean, I really like this mode because it forces you to be a lot more strategic with the way that you place your tiles and with the way that you draft your cave people. And some of those cave people give you points based on their proximity to resources. So you might want to keep resources around Mm -hmm. because those resources are going to give you points based on the tiles that you have on top of your tiles. Yes. So there's just a lot of layered puzzle pieces to this and I really liked it a lot. And part of the puzzle as well is that when you put down a cave person, they can't be on top of a resource token nor can they be on top of a fire. So you have to look, you know, where do I have an actually blank tile where I already spent the resource off it or there is no resource, you know, and there's no fire on it, no fire printed, no fire that I placed from a volcano, nothing. Yep. I like it. I like it a lot. That's I like it I a lot say. too. Yeah. So, so that is King Domino Origins fully replacing King Domino in our house. And the last game on our list is a cute little game called Zoom in Barcelona. Yeah. So, so far I've played this at two players twice. I'm looking forward to playing it with more of our whole family at once. Mm-hmm. This is a really cute and cheap game about traveling around Barcelona and taking pictures. Because of the theme as well as the movement, it actually reminds me a little bit of Shutterbug from Calliope, which we reviewed a couple of years ago. But it's a little bit lighter weight, easier to get into than that, because you can just take pictures wherever you go around Barcelona. There are a few things that get you more points, but really you can take pictures anywhere. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially a set collection game with various types of sets that you are trying to collect, more mm-hmm. or less. I mean, it's a it's a cute little theme. This was developed by a Spanish studio, so it's not really a surprise. <laughs> you know, I think they're not only a Spanish studio, but a studio that's based in Barcelona. I mean, it's obvious that that the folks designing this had a real knowledge of Barcelona and a enthusiasm and love for the geography and all of the various building features and things that right. are there. It's the type of game that makes me think like this could be a series. You could have a zoom in Boston, you could have a zoom in New York, zoom in LA, blah blah blah. You know zoom what I mean? Zoom in Paris. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's, you know, in the plans. I don't know if this is like the seed game to see if it kind of works out kind of thing. I don't know. But I mean, it's the game works mechanically it works. I think we had fun playing it at two players. The theme doesn't really super resonate with me because I've never been to Barcelona. You know what I mean? So there's that part of it. But other than that, I mean, the game, it, it it's a sound game, right? Yeah. And this is one that I would recommend to game schoolers in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, I really don't know much about Spain in general, and I know very little about Barcelona. Right. However, playing through this game even twice has already gotten me a little bit more interested in, oh, well, why is this kind of feature important? And what kind of buildings is it on? Sure. And what does this geography actually mean? Why why is the board set up the way it is? So if it's raising those kind of questions with me, I would imagine that if you are actually studying Spain or Barcelona in any reasonable way, this would be an excellent add-on to help your family with that. Sure. I, the game is not photorealistic. It's fairly stylized, but it's not you know unintelligible. You can still kind of see and determine it's, what things are. It's kind of comic book kind, style kind of, is what I would of. say. Yeah. Uh, I would think almost more like newsprint kind of thing. I, I don't. Maybe. I don't know. It, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, so let's zoom in Barcelona from Blue Orange Games. 
And I think that's probably enough for yep, now. I think so. I agree. So uh, why don't we do this? We'll take a break. When we come back, we will welcome our new community members. And then we'll get right into our topic. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. We'll be right back. So we are going to open up this half of the show by welcoming our new community members. We are very excited to continue to grow the Family Gamers community on Facebook, and I will open it up by saying welcome to Amy. And welcome to Kelly. All right, just two members this week, but that's okay. There's a very cute puppy in There's the post very, waving, waving hi very to you. very cute puppy that everybody should go and see in the Family Gamers community. Once again, you can get there by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community and say hi to this cute puppy. Oh, he's so adorable. All right, enough cuteness. On to our topic. <laughs> Are you saying I'm not cute? You're always cute, even when you're hacking up along. So as we mentioned on the first half of the show, our topic this week is room to grow two-player battle games. That is correct. Our goal with our Room to Grow series is to help you bring your kids through a series of games that grow in complexity. We do our best to start with a game that very simply shows a mechanic or a style of play, Mm -hmm. hopefully without reading or with very little reading, and move up to things that are a little bit more complex and a little bit more engaging for you as an adult. So the nice thing about the game's in this series this week is all of them are engaging for the adults that are trying to play. I mean, yeah, that's part of the goal too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than other times in this case where we did well. And the reason why that is, is because you and I really enjoy two player fighting games. And a lot of the reason why is because either our kids are at school and I'm working and you are homeschooling with (laughs) our 11 year old who really likes to play board games. Uh, Yes. Or, Everybody's in bed and we're not ready for some kind of, you know, two hour ordeal situation that, you know, can play at two players kind of thing. And so generally speaking, games that are really focused to that two player fight kind of mechanic are a little bit quicker. Well, and there is something about the focus involved where you really are pitting yourself against the other person Mm -hmm. and it's very clear when one person has lost and the other person has won. So this is not a, you know, round-based game where you're trying for the most points. It's not a Euro, is, is the I, point here. I mean, yeah. And it's not even a race. It's a who can beat the other person down first. Mm-hmm. Just like a marriage. <laughs> no, that is not what marriage <laughs> is about. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Marriage is the world's best co-op. I'm sorry. I yes. got confused. Yes. And as much as I like abstract games, and you generally do as well, there's something about really putting a theme on this battle that can make it more interesting and a little bit more personal and a little less brain heavy, I guess. Well, so like a a two-player abstract game is this very like erudite finger pyramid kind of experience like chess. And I mean, I like feel that, like, where it's like you really just stare at the board and you don't look at each other at all with something like that, with a, a chess or a shobu or a 
debacle or even an onitama it just like you're staring at the board and you may be trying to get in the other person's head but you're not really paying attention yeah it's a little bit different when you're like my knight takes your rook as opposed to i'm punching you in the face for five points right exactly (laughs) so that's why we like two-player battle games Mm -hmm. and to be fair it's why a lot of kids like two-player battle games as well because it doesn't hurt quite so much to lose when it's clear from the beginning, like, hey, the goal of this game is to beat the other person down. I mean, also, like, it's a safe place to fight. Yes, that's Which too. is helpful, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just kind of... I, which isn't to say that you're getting your aggression out in a board game, but, you know, it's a place where you can kind of push boundaries and and, and challenge mom or challenge dad a little bit and see you know maybe you win and you have the opportunity to see you know a graceful loser kind of thing in a one-on-one situation which is totally different from like a four-person family game yes and i think there is something to be said for like being able to you know put down a card or a die or whatever and be like ha i punch you in the face (laughs) like it just feels good yeah or in the case of the first game on our list you could say stick a fork in me (laughs) That's true. I'm done. (laughs) So our first and simplest game for two-player battling is Food Fighters from the wonderful Kids Table board gaming. Yeah, this is just this really great food sparring game. In the base game, you have the meat and the veg, (laughs) and you are fighting each other. I mean, the ridiculousness of it helps sell it for kids in particular. They'll be like, I want to be the meat team because I want to get rid of all the vegetables. (laughs) Okay, sure. So talk a little bit about Food Fighters and what you love about it so much. Well, so first of all, Josh Capel's art, it strikes just the right note. It it does. It's cute and funny, but all of the meat and vegetables and everything still also look fierce. Like They are are ready to fight. They're comically vicious. Yeah. Um, makes me think a little bit of like a uh, like a Smash Bros clone or something like that, where it's like, I'm super cute, and now I'm going to punch you in the face. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I like about this game is that there's an element of chance at the beginning, because you have to roll to see how many roll. beans you're going to get, and the beans are your currency to allow you to you know do other things. And then you can make decisions on whether you want to swap your guys around to hit the the perfect matchup for you right and then you can attack and it so it's got this sort of low level tactical nature to it right it's not a super tactical game yeah but there's definitely some management and locate like location management kind of stuff going on and it's super visual in the way yes. that it communicates those tactics mm-hmm. so each fighter can only attack the type of opponent food that they are quote thinking about (laughs) and that makes it really obvious like oh hey my bacon can only reach this onion and this broccoli but he's thinking about onion so he can really only attack this onion over here but maybe if i move guys around i can be in a better situation to attack the ones i want to and then going to the next step you know, you roll for those beans and then you have the opportunity to buy kind of upgrades that are, you know, mostly one-time use upgrades from the pantry. And so that's a whole extra level of tactics and maybe a little bit of luck, but uh, at the tactics to help 
figure out how you're going to win this game. Prepare yourself for the future because mm-hmm. you can buy the frying pan weapon or the spoon for extra reach. You can buy the cracker shields to protect your guys. <laughs> They're very silly. You can improve your chances by buying a extra die roll. All of those things. And then, of course, each faction has its own special powers that you can buy with beans as well. The base game's got meat and vegetables, and there's a bunch of expansion uh, groups as well. Yes. So there's like the sweets and the salty stuff. And there's peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a great eight plus level basic fighting two-player game not really a skirmish game it's it's more of a, like a tactical fighting yeah, game it is but it's a ton of fun it takes 20 minutes to play it's and great it, and it's really minimal reading very mm-hmm. visual yep. and so that's why we would recommend it as a place to start right for a two-player battle yep. game this is the beginning of our room to grow so from this game with very emergent strategy where you can just mess around and eventually kind of learn like oh it's better to do this than this Let's move on to a different battle game that still has quite a bit of luck, but makes you start thinking a little bit harder about what you're going to do and about keeping certain elements secret. Yeah, I would actually argue this game has more luck than Food Fighters does, but I think that makes it a little bit more complex because now you need to know that you might have to mitigate some of this luck in the way that you play the game. Yeah, so this game is Tiny Ninjas. So we talked about travel games a couple of weeks ago, and Tiny Ninjas came up because it's an excellent travel game. But it's also a two-player combat game as well. It's a card-based combat game. Yeah, it's cards and dice. So the way you fight in Tiny Ninjas is you take turns being the attacker and the defender. When you're the attacker, you play cards from your hand, and each one of those cards is some kind of attack. Nearly all of them require you to roll dice, and depending on how the die roll shakes out, will determine how powerful your attack actually is. So the difference between this game and Food Fighters, which came before it, and also our number three in our Room to Grow series is this is really kind of a a one-on-one. You don't have a, a bunch of different characters that you're fighting with, right? So in Food Fighters, you have a grid, a three by three grid. And in the next game, you've got usually two characters that are fighting. In this one, it's really just your singular character with its health dial. And you're just kind of sparring back and forth with these cards. Yeah, you play out these ninja cards. So they kind of have their own personality, but it's really more like playing out special powers as attacks. Yeah, I don't I mean, it the the Tiny Ninja's Heroes has a little bit more of that different character personality yes. kind of thing. This yes. is really just the attacks that are represented by they're by represented ninja by art, different personalities. But yeah. it's really you know a kind of a one on one kind of a thing. Yes. So the reason why Tiny Ninjas is more complicated, and we would recommend it as a step up from Food Fighters. There's a couple of pieces here. One is that there is. Definitely more reading required. A lot of these cards have some special effect or special power. I would say somewhere between a half and a third of the cards have some reading on them. Secondly, both attacker and defender are drawing from the same deck. So this is not the kind of game like a Food Fighters or even an Unmatched or something where you're like, this is my stuff and I know exactly what's here and I can work with that. Instead... In Tiny Ninjas, you attack, and then you defend, and at the end of your defense, you get to draw new cards. So there's an element of strategy there that kids will start to learn of, hey, if I spend my whole hand attacking, I have nothing left to defend with. 
But if I don't attack at all, then I don't get anywhere. So they start to learn that balance of how to keep some cards in reserve, attack with some, and then redraw and hope to get more powerful cards in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely got a balance that you have to kind of play with and some risk that you have to take. You have to make a decision to assume risk in order to be more powerful later on in the game. Yes. And that's something that is less of an issue in Food Fighters. But it's, it is more of an advanced strategic technique, which is kind of why we wanted to, to represent this as a, a little bit more of a complicated game. Well, and Tiny Ninjas is a game where that issue gets sort of introduced slowly over time. It, again, it's, it's a strategy that emerges. You could just play it and be like, you know what, every time I'm going to attack three times and keep two cards back for defense, and I'm just going to try to pick the best ones for that. And you'll do okay, but the more you do that, the more you'll begin to learn some of the patterns there and oh wait when i have all of these really low power cards in my hand maybe i should just attack with all of them because they're not that useful for defense and i'm bound to pull better cards in the future card cycling is powerful yes exactly (laughs) all right so that is tiny ninjas this is number two in our room to grow series we started with food fighters from kids table board games moved on to tiny ninjas from tuniverse games and finally back to the publisher that we started the entire (laughs) show with it should surprise absolutely no one that our go-to family weight, but yeah. still adult, uh, happy two-player skirmish game is Unmatched from Restoration Games. We love Unmatched. We do. We really, we really, really, do. really do. And, you know, there's so many characters in Unmatched that you can really find a character that's going to appeal to pretty much anyone, I think. Uh, some of the characters are darker than some of the other characters. So if you are playing uh, yes. with younger players, you probably don't want to be Bloody Mary. <laughs> that think? may not be the option that you want to go with. You might be a little bit better off with something like maybe Alice or Robin uh, Hood. Little Red. Or Little Red. Yeah, you know, something, something like, like that. that. Where there is presence in mythos at a younger age range than someone like Bloody Mary. So, or even then, like Dracula, because yeah, yeah. Dracula well, and sure. the, the three sisters get pretty dark, pretty quick. I mean, well. it's a creature that stays alive by sucking out the blood of other human beings. I, I mean, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of uh, dark. However, I will say that I'm looking back and like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, while thematically really well done, a lot of that is not going to mean much to a kid unless they've played. Like, it's not going to mean much positive or negative to them. Well, so there's two things there. So number one is the theme piece. And number two is Cobble and Fog, while remaining my favorite set, although Legends Volume 2 is really good, <laughs> while Cobble and Fog is my favorite set, I think that those characters are more difficult to play. Okay. I mean, maybe fair. not the Invisible Man. He's not that hard. He's not as... Invisible Man's probably, fairly straightforward. Yeah, the most straightforward. But like... Like Dr. Dragon, Mr. Hyde and Sherlock and Watson are very difficult to play and play sure. well. Sure. But like a character like like Alice is much easier to play or a character like King Arthur, who many people would argue is probably one of the lesser characters in the game, but he's a lot more straightforward of a character to play. Yeah. Some sometimes you just want to run around and hit stuff. And that's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> and I that's think, okay. I think he has the most powerful base attack card in the game at seven. Oh yeah, I don't like think ever. I've ever seen yeah, anything which is, like that. I think yeah. it's Excalibur or something to that effect. But sure. so there's just there's a ton of options there. There's really, really a lot. Um I mean, even a character like Bruce Lee is is like fairly lighthearted in the grand scheme of unmatched, you know, and yeah. and he's not that difficult. It's not hard to figure out how to play a character like Bruce Lee, but certainly harder than figuring out how to play a character like meat or vegetables, which is why <laughs> <laughs> we start this 
series two-player skirmish or two-player battle games with food fighters from kids table board game then we go we grow into tiny ninjas from two universe games and then finally we wrap it up with unmatched from restoration games all of these are excellent games to play whether you're a kid whether you're an adult they're all good yes unmatched is definitely a more challenging game to play both on a strategic level and on a simple mechanical level there is a lot of reading in unmatched it's not difficult reading usually but there's a lot of it Mm -hmm. there's hand management that none of the other games have some characters is worse than others yes but there's always hand management you have a maximum hand limit you want to play cards to do stuff but you also want to keep some cards in your hand you're usually managing a main character and a sidekick sometimes multiple sidekicks so all of that makes it more complicated, but also more interesting as you move around the map and try to attack each other. Unmatched has the benefit of not only being a two-player battle game. You can also play it as a free-for-all at three or four players or a team game at four. Yeah, but I think it's best suited for that two-player style. I, agree. I mean, that's really what it's intended for. You know, we actually did include a couple of other ones here. I mentioned we were going to talk about more than three. We oh, have always more than a total three. of five. Some other games that we could have probably swapped in instead of Unmatched. Like, it was kind of at that tier three level. Yeah. The first one of these is Skulk Hollow. So we talked about Malpeak already. <laughs> I'm sure we you all will Skull be shocked. Hollow. I know it's a shock. It's a shock. Skulk Hollow, I would actually say, is probably a little bit less complicated than Unmatched. It's a little simpler than it's, Unmatched. It's definitely more complicated than Tiny Ninja's. But it does have a lot less reading. It has less reading than Unmatched. It's a little bit more cutesy. And it's more obviously asymmetric. Oh, for sure. Unmatched is asymmetric, but a lot of that is hidden in the cards that you have. Well, I mean, it's it's just clearly you have different characters, which makes it asymmetric. With Skulk Hollow, it is completely different. Everything about what Everything you're doing is, di- is yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the third one, and this is probably the most complicated game, this is more complex than Unmatched, I would say, is Summoner Wars. Do you remember Summoner Wars? I do, yeah. Yeah, so this is a, a card-based battle game from Plaid Hat Games. I don't know who owns it now, because Plaid Hat got bought by Asmodee and then separated again. So I don't know officially who's controlling Summoner Wars anymore. But this is a really interesting game. There's lots and lots and lots of different factions. You play your cards out onto a grid. The cards represent different kinds of characters, and you're allowed to move them around, and they can all perform different kinds of attacks. It's a very tactical game, but it's very good. But it's probably the yes. most complex game out of everything that we've talked about here. I still I still would say it's you know no more than like a two and a half or a three on BGG or something like that. Like It's not super complicated. It's just a, a, a very tactical game. It's definitely a more is going on here oh yeah for sure yeah yep yep so i really had a lot of fun with that one that was a game that was very difficult for me to purge but you know it was one of those that's not getting to the table blah 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 blah. so we had to kind of move on from that one but uh yeah so let's see so we started with food fighters kid table board games tiny ninjas two universe games unmatched restoration games also skull call from pencil first and summoner wars from plaid hat and there are plenty more there are Tell us about what your favorite two-player skirmish battle type game is. You can come at us on all of the social medias at Family Gamers AA on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, you can come to the Family Gamers community where you can welcome our two new community members and also talk about two-player skirmish games by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or just going to Facebook and looking for the Family Gamers community. You can also email us and say, hey, why didn't you talk about my favorite game or 
can you address this in a future podcast? And we'll do the best we can. I will make a personal promise that if you email one of us directly, we will include it in the show. I mean, unless you ask us not to. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. But we used to do this thing called Backtalk where we won't take it from our kids, but we'll take it from you. That is our listener feedback section of the show. And we haven't had much listener feedback. We've had some stuff in the community, but that really hasn't risen to the level of Backtalk. Yeah. So if you want to uh, to get a mention on the show, send us an email. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. And Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. We do appreciate everyone who listens. A quick aside. If you've been listening for a while, check out the show notes in your podcast app of choice. I finally figured out how to get show notes into the podcast feed and not just on our website. Yeah, like in a nicely formatted way, as opposed to just the the wall of text that was going in there before. Right. So if you're curious about any of these or you don't know how to spell my name to email me, whatever, it is in there. (laughs) It is in the show notes. Uh, that's, That's true. All right. Please check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. It's still hoodie season. It is still hoodie season. We have our artists hard at work. I think there will be some new designs going up in less than a month. That would be cool. Yeah. Please don't forget to subscribe to this wonderful podcast if you have not already. Tell your friends about the podcast. And tell all of your friends about our scintillating personalities. <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly it. Um, or people you don't know about our scintillating personalities. The best way to tell people you don't know is by leaving us a review at Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you listen. That's right. You can find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. And all kinds of other podcast places. Yes, Pocket Cast. Overcast. Are we morally obligated to say Pocket Cast now? That's a I don't thing. Know. Is that a thing? I, I don't pocket know. Pocket Cast. Dr. Michael's Pocket Cast. <laughs> The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you get over your analysis paralysis and pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. All right. I'm excited for our interview next week. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. In the meantime, maybe you and I can play some two-player battling games like Unmatched. I'm going to beat you up. Not if I beat you first. All right. Well, until next week, everybody. Play Play games games with your kids. kids.